0: I think maybe it's good for us to remember just how hard it would have been to do what was being asked to do. But God doesn't always ask us to do easy things, does He? Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are our friends Eric, hey, and Tracy. Good morning. And Karen.
1: Hello. Good Morning.
0: It looks like a good morning too. I think I might actually get my Christmas lights off the roof today before they become <laughs> Jeez. before they come Valentine's Day lights. <laughs> it's,
1: Can you it's, just stick with red and go multi holiday is that a better is that a better plan for you?
0: Just go out and take out all the Yeah, if they were uh, the old style and I could just go up and take off all the old all everything that's not red. Or white and, and and just leave them up there, it'd be okay and then I could just put the blue ones back and have them for the Fourth of July. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I try to get them down early, but it's just been it's just been snow up there and and trying to get on my roof with snow is not going to happen so it's uh, this might be one of the latest I've ever gotten them down, but I don't think I've ever had them down after Valentine's Day, so I think I'm still doing okay.
1: I actually have an excellent plan for not having to do that.
0: Yeah. Don't Don't put put them them up up
1: in the first place.
0: (laughs) She's a mean one.
1: (laughs) No, she's a failure when it comes to decorations. That doesn't
0: make me mean. Karen the Grinch. No, really,
2: you could get those ones that you could alter the colors now for, so
0: they
2: they could be fitting for any season.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, that's true. Although being the electrician I am I know that they're only supposed to be up for 30 days before the fire marshal's supposed to have an issue with them. So Really? Yeah, temporary wow. lighting is only allowed for 30 days.
2: Wow. So, yeah. I never knew that.
0: No, most people don't. Most people don't. You see and I don't know how much it's enforced because you see restaurants and things all over the place having plug-in temporary lights up year round and I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, what it's if there's
2: just so many people, you just really can't enforce it. So,
0: well, I'll, yeah, it I. On
2: the books and...
0: It's probably one of those things that until it becomes a problem, nobody makes an issue of it. But if right. it starts, if it starts a fire, then some, then that maybe be something that an, an insurance company could come and the back. The comes out. Yeah, that'd be my suspicion. Yeah, so, but yeah. So, yes, but for people to have a a perspective of how long it's been, there's supposed to be something super happening today that uh, uh, I probably won't be a part in because I'll be on my roof. I'm sure Tracy knows what's happening. The Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Oh, wait. Do we have to be a sponsor to use that word, though? No.
2: (laughs) Usually people say the big game. They can't say Super Bowl. If the Broncos aren't in it, it's not a big game. It's not even super.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. I think the last time I <laughs> last couple, maybe the last time I saw the Broncos in it, it wasn't that great of a game either. So <laughs>
2: well, no, it was like six years ago. We won.
0: Oh, OK. See, I, that's how much I pay attention.
2: There you go. <clears throat> like, you know, but it's just like, I'm sure I'll put it on and do other things and walk around.
0: There you go. I was gonna say it's probably been six years since I watched football, if that was the last time the yeah. Broncos were in the Super Bowl. So Yep. Yeah. I'm not I actually a...
1: like watching it. I, I mean, like I grew up without television, but but football was like the one thing that one thing that we would watch. I remember going with my dad to neighbors' houses and then eventually we bought this little thirteen inch black and white TV with the rabbit ears.
3: Mm-hmm. And it
1: was really hard to tell the home team from the away team. You had to memorize whether they're whether they're uniforms were light or dark because that's all you had yeah and it yeah. just I don't know like I've always just kind of liked football but I don't have tv mm-hmm. so I don't have a way to watch it I, yeah. would. I would watch it
0: <laughs> I don't I, you know it's funny because I do kind of enjoy watching football I just never take the time for it I don't know yes it's, it's never that's been a big draw that draw for me and I get a little jealous of people who are really you know super into it. it's like oh wow they have something fun to do every weekend but then yeah, yeah. every weekend comes around and I have something else to do so I was like huh oh well yep. I'm yeah so anyway nothing against it really other than it takes a lot of time and effort and energy away from our society but um you know more power I guess more power to them so <laughs> so although you know big old tangent before we start. I'm sure I'll get, I'll get the complaints from the people who t- talk to me about this, but there was a few year... Year?
1: You mean your mother will complain to you?
0: I mean, probably, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, there was a few years ago. I remember my wife's family's church was actually adjusting their worship schedule on Sunday morning so that they oh. could watch so that they could watch the Broncos play football.
3: <laughs> wow. And,
0: and, uh, I got very judgmental right then. <laughs> i tried to keep it to myself but i was like "Mm, wow that uh priorities yeah i did i i was not on board with that for sure (laughs) i would
1: like to be i would like to be judgmental of how much time people spend watching football until i notice how much time i spend reading or how much time i spend crocheting And 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 then I am less judgmental.
0: Yeah. Oh, no. People have called me out for it, too, for watching movies and things like that. Yeah, that's true. But there's no full ride scholarships for movie watching. And there's no there's no uh, there's no government subsidies for for me to uh, to watch to go see Marvel movies. So, you know, I can't I can't watch I can't watch the Avengers and get paid for it. So (laughs) disappointing. I know. I know. Anyway, total tangent completely. Sorry, mom.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Let's do what we came here to do, which is okay.
2: Uh, okay, yeah.
0: Uh, we are going to talk today about um, the books of Second Kings, chapters twenty-four through twenty-five, Second Chronicles thirty-six, and Jeremiah chapters thirty-eight through forty. And through that, we will actually finish the books of Second Kings and Second Chronicles. And Tracy was pointing out that we've been in Second Chronicles for a really long time. it uh, It spans it spans quite a bit because we've gone through we've gone through a lot of other books as we've gone through Second Chronicles. So uh, it's been it's been really interesting, but it has been a while that we've been in Second Chronicles. And now, while I say we're going to be uh, in those books, it's going to be really hard for us to probably say exactly what book we're in at any given point in this discussion, because this is definitely one of those times where the kings and the chronicles are are, uh, are intermingling back and forth, and to some degree, Jeremiah. But uh, we'll do our best to try to keep things um, in order and uh, cohesive, or at least uh, I will hope that my my partners here will help me <laughs> to stay in order and cohesive the history of the last several Kings of Judah is really what's spelled out in the Chronicles and Kings here. Now we've, we've kind of been talking about them a lot over the last several weeks, but it's, it's, we're kind of given just a real quick recap, brief history of the things that happened here, starting with Jehoahaz. Now Jehoahaz, Ah, uh, his father, if you remember, was Josiah, who he was. No, we kind of think of him as the last good king right. of Judah, but yet he died very foolishly because he was the guy who who jumped out and attacked the Egyptians as they were. I don't. I don't even remember who they were attacking. They
2: weren't attacking Judah, but no. but he, he was just begging to go to war. I he guess any 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 way to get there and. The archers in the end got him
0: yeah it was just a really dumb way for a good king to die and because he just i don't know got out there and and even the king of egypt what was his name um nico was it nico, nico.
1: Yep,
0: nico. yeah yeah and he's like what are you doing i don't <laughs> want to fight you
1: <laughs> and, i'm going over there to attack those people why are you here
0: yeah, and yeah. So, you know, Josiah insisted and he ended up he ended up getting shot and and dying and it was really dumb. But his his son then Jehoahaz, when he was tw- twenty-three years old, uh he took the throne. And from what I'm seeing here, he reigned for a whopping three months before. Yeah, he like was he's in
1: the throne for like ten seconds.
0: Yeah, it was like nothing, absolutely nothing. Uh he's in the throne for like three months before Nico deposed him. And replaced him with his brother Eliakim, who later got renamed Jehoiakim by Nico. And uh Jehoahaz then was carried off to Egypt. Now, why did Nico want Jehoahaz? I don't know. But you know, this is interesting because right here we we're already seeing that Judah is is basically ceasing to exist in any form that we've seen them now. They're not even in charge of themselves now, because it's it's The Egyptian king who's, it seems like he's the one who's got the, uh, got the power right now saying, nope, we're not going to have that king. We're going to have this king instead. And I guess, I don't know, does that make Jehoiakim kind of a puppet of Egypt then? Kind of seems like so.
2: You know what I was thinking too, when reading this is how far they had really fallen. Yes. From wanting a king and told being told that you really don't need a king. I should be your number one priority to... Mm -hmm okay, I'll give you what you want, which I am I also wonder too in thinking about it this week is this kind of mirrors maybe a little bit of King Saul's reign where it starts off great and just in the end, it's like, do you remember you ever served the Lord? Mm-hmm. And then the glitz and the glamour of of David and Solomon to now nothing, very little, very little remnant of what you should be doing or who you should be following.
0: Yeah, I was noticing, uh, at least for myself, and I was curious about you guys on that, it was, there's like a real emotional quality to this of seeing Judah just crumble after all this time that we've been watching Israel and Judah as these chosen people, you know, they rose to amazing power. They were like the Mm -hmm. superpower and they're just, they're just, absolutely falling apart.
1: One of the things that really stood out to me as I was reading these chapters was the long, slow takeover that was the Babylonian conquering of Judah. Mm -hmm. Did you guys notice that? Like it just went on and on. Okay. So we know that if we go back to the end of the chapter before our reading started, the end of the last couple verses of uh, chapter 23, it says that Jehoiakim was king for eleven years, mm-hmm. and that he became Nebuchadnezzar's vassal for three years before he rebelled. This is a long, slow takeover. So he sat on the throne in Jerusalem as the Babylonian king's vassal for three years, and then he put his put his foot down and was just like, "No, I'm not doing it anymore," or whatever happened there, and that's why he was taken off the throne and his and uh, what was his name? Jehoiachin, mm-hmm. the the married with multiple wives already eighteen year old became king for ten seconds.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I thought that was really interesting, and and I just noticed that over these chapters, it's like this is a this is an interesting war. It's it's long and it's slow, and it reminded me of what Jeremiah had kept saying to people, which was, if you'll submit to the Babylonians, you'll live. Yep. If you just submit to them and serve them and work for the good of the country you'll live
0: yeah yeah you know that that has been that has been the message and i, I you know we you know we sit here with our with our hindsight and we say gosh why didn't they just do that and i you know you start thinking think about it, it's like how easy would that have been to do you know, when has it ever been easy for a country to just roll over for another country to take charge? You know, any any king, any leader, um, you know, these, these these things we we want to we want to look at them as black and white, and they really aren't because there's I don't know, you you got to give up a lot of things <laughs> to be able to just just say okay, you're in charge to anybody.
1: So when I when I, I lived in Colorado. I had this client. He was a Scottish man. He, he was from, from the motherland. He was, you know, really strong accent. And he, we were talking one day when the vote for Scottish sovereignty was about to happen mm. over there in the UK. And he was in America on a visa, but he was incredibly frustrated that he could not be there to vote and and I and so I was asking him about that because you know there's this long history of of sort of slow takeover and integration between England and Scotland before they became you know in the process of becoming what we know as the UK. So I I just kind of asked him how he felt about that because he was a member of the conquered nation,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and he said. I wish that I was there. And oh, I wish I could imitate his accent because it's glorious. You'll just have to imagine Braveheart like shouting from the mountaintops or throwing (laughs) rocks or whatever. And he was like, I wish that I was there because this is the only form of warfare I'm allowed to engage in to free myself.
3: Right? Mm -hmm. Even
1: though he's never actually faced war in his lifetime, in his modern comfortable lifetime. And he's even chosen to immigrate, he still, in his fuzzy little heart of hearts, his patriotic heart, he wished he was in his homeland, and he wished that his homeland was free, and, like, the longing on his face and the intensity in his voice, like, he could not stand being a conquered nation, even though he had been conquered from the moment he was born. He, he He didn't grow up during that war you know he was not part of losing that place losing his his national identity and he and yet he still had it and resented it so it's very interesting like the point of view of a conquered nation it's like who would ever like you're saying who would ever lie down and just do that voluntarily mm-hmm. unless you were in a position of weakness and you actually needed needed to be conquered to gain assets or structure or government or defense or whatever you know there's different reasons that that happens I just, I remember like just the sheer intensity on his face of just wishing he could be there to vote because that was the only form of warfare he could engage in. And I was like, oh, wow.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, I I think that's kind of it. I think even if you find yourself in a position where you need to be conquered, it's still going to be hard to, to, to just give up. You bow know, and, to that,
1: lose, lose mm-hmm. the standalone identity and integrate into another one. Or like mm-hmm. in this case, Jerusalem still had people in it, still had a king in it for several years. Mm-hmm. They were just vassals of Babylon.
3: Yeah.
0: So yeah. was their
1: day-to-day life any different? You know, it's kind of yeah. interesting to think about.
0: Yeah, I mean, not yet, not until the siege comes, but it <laughs> doesn't. it doesn't seem like for the average person, it doesn't seem like maybe their life was all that different yet. Uh, and but they were, you know, at this point we're already we're already seeing their very strong national identity, which we still see, you know, we still see it today. Uh, the, the 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 strong identity of of Israel, and well, I mean, that's part of that's part of all the the conflicts we see in that area these days is because there's so many you know people over there with very strong identities that don't want to that they're not willing to give up. To anybody else in the area and and just uh roll over for them and it's always a question of whether or not they should i mean that is a big question these days of of you know even today israel's role over there in the middle east and and uh who owns what and you know especially things like the temple mount and stuff like that so um i don't know it's just interesting it's interesting to look at and it's i don't know i think maybe it's good for us to remember just how hard it would have been to do what was being asked to do. But God doesn't always ask us to do easy things, does he? This is, I think it's important as we think about
4: this slide of national identity and autonomy and so on. Do we keep in mind this isn't, this didn't just show up one day. It's like, and now you have to be subjects of Babylon. Mm-hmm. If this, There were all kinds of things that preceded this. They were not supposed to go to Egypt for help. They went mm-hmm. to Egypt for help. They were not supposed to be worshipping other gods and idols. They never stopped doing that. I mean, there were a few kings, and we've t- discussed them, uh, who did lead the people towards what was right. But this is—sometimes this is, we tend to think of these things as like uh, hitting a T in, in an interstate. You know, it's like you have to go left or you have to go right, and it's a hard turn that you have to make one way or another. But they had been making this turn for years and years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And Jeremiah, as we've been reading, has been telling them, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. They had been unfaithful to everyone, essentially. Um, They went to Egypt for help. And this is ironic. Egypt put them under subjection. Do you notice that? Mm Mm-hmm they were paying tribute to egypt it wasn't just like egypt helped them out and then they're like oh phew, thanks guys uh, they became vassals of egypt and then nebuchadnezzar came in and said you're going to serve me and these they were like karen said for many many years already doing this mm-hmm. how different would their life have been if they had just said all right we're going to keep doing this now it's it's worth noting too we talk a lot about rebellion in Second uh, Chronicles thirty six thirteen. This is speaking of Zedekiah. He said, "He, this is Zedekiah, rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God." So Zedekiah yeah. had sworn before the God of Israel to serve Nebuchadnezzar. What What does that say about God? When some, if I if I were to 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 a foreign national, say, I swear before the living God of the universe to do XYZ. And then a little bit later, yeah, I'm not going to do XYZ.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: What kind of, you know, what does that show on my God? What kind of, I remember at this time, or it's hard to put the exact timeline together for me in my head, anyways, Daniel is in uh, Babylon with mm-hmm. you know, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, guys. They're standing up for God. Meanwhile, you've got the king uh, who is placed in Israel saying, yes, I'll do it. No, I won't. Yes, I'll do it. No, I won't. Right. And swearing by God this whole time. And behind the scenes in verse 14, it says, and, and really, Second Chronicles 36 is the best summary. It kind of takes us through, I don't know, almost, it's not 100 years, but it takes us through, it's the fast forward version right. of all that we've been reading. And verse 14 says all the officers of the priests and the people likewise were un- exceedingly unfaithful following the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. Now, we just we fly by that here in Cross and Chronicles. But when when we read in Ezekiel, Ezekiel has a vision of exactly what's going on. And. I don't know if you all remember that, but what was happening is that these priests and leaders had set up basically uh, heathen uh, temples inside the temple of God. And Ezekiel was shown this in vision. They were literally worshiping these idols and foreign gods inside the temple. So this wasn't like a, a, a gentle, like, well, I don't know, we're doing everything right as a nation and now we have to, you know, air quotes, roll over. They, they had been rebelling against God. They had been rebelling against Egypt. They'd been rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar, all the while promising fidelity to each one of them. Oh, yes, God, we're doing your thing. We're keeping your feast. It just reminds me of in Jesus' day, the, the priests who were like, well, we got to hurry up and kill Jesus so we can go back and keep the Passover pure they're doing this whole thing as a nation and this is this is the result of what we're going through the siege and everything that unfolds is the result of all of these choices that they've been making this this is the culmination of that and and I think verses 16 to I'm sorry 15 and 16 are like the summary within the summary of how this all went down
0: yeah yeah like you it, say it, it, it hasn't been like a sudden A sudden shift It's been It's been happening For a long time Which You know I guess Speaks (laughs) even more Though to You know A people who would be More You know More and more reluctant To just You know They're trying to hang on To their autonomy And even though it's Slipping away from them It has been They've been allowing it To slip slowly And so That final Agreement To give it away It's just I still think that would be Pretty tough For uh, It would be for a nation as proud as they seem to have been to uh, to, to just give up yeah they wouldn't they wouldn't
4: been to anyone right, including right.
0: God right, yeah, which is uh well that's why that's why we've been talking about him so much, so yeah, like Eric said, it's just uh, we get like the fast forward through second chronicles 36 because Jehoiakim he um, we're told that he reigned for about 25 years, he did evil, uh, became vassal to Babylon for three years. Um, interestingly, because of the sins of Manasseh, which was several years before him, but he was they, he was attacked by Chaldeans, Syrians, Moabites, Ammonites. It's like everybody in the area started attacking during his time. He got carried off to Babylon. I thought this was sort of interesting. I don't know if there's really anything behind it, but he was speci- it, it was specifically pointed out that he was put into bronze fetters and carried off to Babylon. I thought that was interesting, considering considering how much of the... Wealth of Israel at this point was like in their bronze. It used to be gold, but at this point now it's bronze because the gold's all been carried off. But uh, I thought that yeah, was sort of
1: because also because they grabbed those huge artifacts mm-hmm. from the temple. That bronze sea that was so huge, and then those giant pillars. Yeah, it, sa- it says that they took those and broke them down. Now whether they made the shackles out of that and he got carried off in shackles made of his own temple accoutrements, I don't know. But yeah, there was a ton of bronze there.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So I just thought that was, I, this seemed interesting to me that
2: that you know I I wonder if it was the glitz and the glamour of you know carrying away a king. Maybe. I mean, well, I mean, you know, bronze was at this point. This point
0: in metallurgy was steel really a thing yet because I think bronze was you know you had the bronze age where the Greeks specifically that was their their weapons were made out of bronze because it was kind of the strongest thing they had so I don't, the I, don't
1: Philistine, know. I know that in Canaan the Philistines were good at working metal but I don't remember which metals it was. I remember it talking about that when the Israelites got there. It said that they that instead of being their own metal workers they would go down to the Philistines and they would get their swords and their weapons and their plowshares and whatever from them but I don't remember which metals were listed.
0: Mhm. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought it was interesting that the thing that was seen as their their strength and their wealth is is what is now being used to to hobble the uh, the king as he's carried away. Uh, I would have
1: put it through his nose and saved some of the metal, but that's just me. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, yeah. So we we're told that Nebuchadnezzar is starting to take away some of the stuff from the temple. Uh, Jehoiachin comes in. Now, th- this was interesting to me too. I had to look at several translations for this because when you look at the age of Jehoiachin when he took uh, the throne. In 2 Kings, I believe it says, yeah, he was 18. And in Chronicles, it said he was 8. But every other translation I looked at that didn't have the words King James Version in it said 18 for both of them. So I just thought that was an interesting uh, little discrepancy in the King James Version between 8 and 18. I don't know if it was just somebody's typo that later translators went nah that can't be right you know
4: (laughs) the ESV has a footnote that says in the septuagint um it says yeah the septuagint the hebrew manuscripts say eight so Hmm. presented in the text is 18 with a footnote that there is that septuagint eight so the the um
0: yeah i mean what do we make of that i don't know
4: i don't I don't think that's the crux of the story, but
0: no, no, it's not. It's just interesting to me that every other translation says 18, except for the King James. And and when, you know, you talk to the people who are King James only people, you're like, well, you know, they have their issues too. So uh, maybe, maybe that's not a hill to die on, but that's, yeah, that's completely beside the point. What is so, the point? <clears throat> Go ahead.
1: But, but just just out of curiosity then, or as an interesting follow-up in verse 15, it says, Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiachin captive to Babylon. He also took from Jerusalem to Babylon the king's mother, his wives,
3: mm-hmm.
1: his officials, and the prominent people of the land. But mm-hmm. anyway.
0: Which, that's yeah, probably that is, uh, why most people go, no, he must have been 18. I mean, I suppose it's possible a three-year-old could have multiple wives, but but... Probably not, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So, but yeah, the point of it being though, he only he only reigned a whopping three months. Uh, we do get the name of his mother, Nehushta. Um, but yep, he was taken Nebuchadnezzar by Nebuchadnezzar and more stuff from the temple was carried away. And Zedekiah is brought in. And uh, actually his name was Mataniah. Uh, he was made king by Nebuchadnezzar. So we can see here that, Judah has lost all control of themselves. Uh, they're not even naming their own kings at this point. He is uh, in the line. He he would have been, let's see, he was the son of Josiah. So it's been Josiah's brother or, uh, sons who have been taking the role except for, uh, let's see, was there, no, they were all. I don't know. I don't know. It, it gets confusing here with the with who who ends up being next in line. But Mattaniah gets made king by Nebuchadnezzar. He's renamed Zedekiah, and uh, by Nebuchadnezzar, and he reigns for eleven years. And we're told his mother's name uh, Hamutal, and he eventually rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. But we're specifically told that he wouldn't turn to God, so he didn't want to be ruled by Nebuchadnezzar, but at the same time, he wasn't going to listen to what God had to say either. We're told that the leaders of the priests and the people, they transgressed more and more. They defiled the temple, which we've we've talked about that, how badly they were treating the temple over time. I mean, what have we seen? We've seen it basically used as a storage unit, a stables, uh, a brothel. Um, uh, We know that they had, they were worshiping idols in there, I mean, what didn't they do, you know, uh, just, uh, I don't know. It was just so baffling, so baffling after the, you know, our studies of everything that went into building it and the pride that the people took in building it and, and doing it for God when they were building it. And just to (laughs) see that, that the generations following just completely, just completely trashed it, just completely ruined it, just ruined it. This gives
4: a little bit of context to when we when we f- f- fast forward to the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, the importance of rebuilding the temple and how big a deal this was to the people. I mean, to us, it would be kind of like, all right, we're, you know, we had to move out of state and then we move back in and rebuild a church. Mm. That would be a thing, but it wouldn't be for us, probably an all-consuming kind of thing. Like, that wouldn't be the central focus of everything that we would write about and talk about. But their temple was. You know, to your point, this this had been like the highlight of their nation. This was the highlight of kings. I mean, when you think of Solomon, you think of Solomon's temple. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing David wanted to do with his life, was build this temple. So it was a big, big, big deal. Fast forward now to the time of Jesus, and the, the hard hardliners are absolutely concerned with the temple you can't defile the temple you can't you know you he's remember one of the charges that they brought against jesus was that he said he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days i mean from our perspective we're like that's just dumb i mean like of course no one could do that why would you arrest somebody for talking just silly talk like that right even if he had said that but to them this was they had they had gone from ignoring the temple in the days that we're looking at, and God, to worshiping the temple. Mm -hmm. Not the God of the temple, but the temple. And remember when uh, Paul was arrested, uh, he was charged with what? Bringing somebody in to defile the temple, which was not true. (laughs) But they had come to the point to where they were worshiping the temple, not the God of the temple. And as we read through Acts and so on, Paul is trying to say, like, it's not the temple, guys. It's the God of the temple, and He doesn't see distinctions in the race and 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 uh, so on like you do. And but it was still very, very, very temple centric, which is why you know the, the Book of, of um, uh, Nehemiah is largely about rebuilding the temple.
0: Yeah, the uh, we get to a bit here where we find out that uh, well, we're just what happened to it. We're told that God had sent warnings, which we've been reading about these warnings for a long time. And uh, this is in still in 2 Chronicles 36, but God had sent warnings. And it said because he had compassion on his people, you know, he had been trying for so long to warn the people, don't go this way. Don't go that way. Come back here. Don't go that way. And uh, they just didn't want to listen. So we're told they, they mocked the messengers. They despised the words. They scoffed at the prophets. And I said until there was no remedy, you know, we've talked a lot about people's perceptions of a of a of an angry God in the Old Testament. And, you know, like we said, how long have we been reading Second Chronicles and how long have we been seeing God asking, begging, pleading them come back, come back and back? And they just won't do it. And finally, there's just there is nothing to be done. There's absolutely nothing that can be done it says, therefore, he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans. So this is why this is why Babylon is being brought in. That word, therefore, really stuck out to me. Therefore, he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans because there was nothing else that could be done. God has Babylon go in and dismantle them. And he really does. Boy, he really just takes it apart little by little, piece by piece until the very end there. And he takes everything out of the temple. And this is at at this point, we're told that the temple is burned. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. The palaces are burned. uh, All their their better possessions are destroyed. Everybody who isn't killed is taken to Babylon, made servants to Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, then uh, an interesting phrase is put to us here. Until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths for 70 years. That was an interesting, because, you know, wasn't that, that tells me that maybe some of that old stuff we've read, we read about before hadn't been being, probably wasn't, hadn't been being the, observed. The
1: Jubilee cycle.
0: Yeah, the Jubilee yeah. cycle, yeah. you know, which was about more than the land. It was about the people as well. Oh,
4: it was about real estate. It was about land. It was about slavery. It was about banking and finance. It was about trusting God to provide for them during those years, and I find it fascinating—well, not fascinating or surprising—that over and over there is this little phrase um, that the word of the Lord might be fulfilled. It says that in twenty-one and in twenty-two is that uh, I heard an interesting message that recently. This is when God says a thing, it's going to happen. It, because when he spoke, he spoke the world into existence, and when God says a thing is going to happen, it will happen. Now, how it happens, when it happens, the way it looks like when it happens is very seldom predictable by us, but it happens. And I find it interesting that it's kind of like God said it, like, this is supposed to happen. And they just went along their way, do and said, no, I, I actually really meant that. This is going to happen. And like you said, between when we read these kinds of things in in Leviticus and now, really wasn't
2: mentioned much. But that doesn't mean it disappeared. You know, and I think, too, it's like where we were in Jeremiah before and how we talked about Jeremiah. It wasn't so much that, you know what, you have a long time to prepare for this. This is what's going on now. This is what's happening now. This is what's at your doorstep now. Mm-hmm. And the whole 70 years, too, that's that's exactly what Jeremiah was saying. You're going to go. You We have to do this. This is what's going to refine us, and this is what's going to, you know, I think in essence bring us back to uh, following God. Can you do it? Are you willing to submit enough to do it?
1: So I'm thinking of a couple of things here. The idea of Jubilee, right, like the seven-year rotation of this, that, and the other. I think it plays the same role as the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, right? Mm
3: -hmm.
1: So six days, God works. He creates, he creates, he creates, he creates, he creates, building his world how he wants it. And then he sits back and he rests and he looks at it and he enjoys it. And he sets aside that day in a remembrance. Okay, so here comes the seven-year cycle. And to me, it's always been kind of symbolic of that same rotation of time. The land needs to rest, right? The mm. people, the, the weekly Sabbath to me, reorients creation to the creator, right? You get busy day to day. You've got your chores. You make your money. You have your hobbies. You, you, you do your things. You do life. And then once a week, you set that aside and you focus on the fact that you are a created being and all of this is not yours. You are the small thing in the picture that is happening, not the big thing, which is what the rest of the week feels like, because you go about your business and you're the center of your world. So the idea of, like, if you, if you think about the trust that's involved, in not planting crops every seventh year. First of all, it's good for the earth. You know, the earth needs to rest and grow grow wild things that will be plowed under and become part of the soil through decomposition. Okay, fine, yes, there's that. There's the agricultural aspect of that. But they had to plan ahead and they had to trust and they had to make do with whatever grew naturally. And then think about how that affected their finances. If they had entered into any purchases or deals, they were suddenly freed of those deals. What if they had found themselves in a bad place financially and they had to sell themselves into servanthood? Like these indentured you know, servants, like we were talking about before. Like that's where they survived. They, didn't, they couldn't do it. It gives you a chance to reset. Right. All of that, all of that takes the tiny human, removes them from the center of their world and puts them as a servant of the most high, a steward, right? A steward that's taking care of each other, our land, our money that we earn. It's like a continual Sabbath, if you will. You sit back and you reorient to the fact that you're the small thing. You're not actually the middle and i just i just think that that's such an important point of view and in the day-to-day drive to do this that and the other i just think it's so often missed mm-hmm. and and if they had been ignoring that maybe that was part of wandering off the straight and narrow where they were supposed to be was that as a nation they were keeping themselves at the center they knew that those markers were coming and going and they just were bypassing them and so here comes god and he's like no we're gonna have our rest. We're gonna have our rest, and you're going to re-enter captivity. Because when you come out of it and you're grateful for freedom, we're gonna try this again.
0: Yeah, I think that is that seems you know by having that pointed out here, that seems to be kind of the kind of the point is that they haven't been they haven't been viewing themselves as the created. They haven't been viewing themselves as subservient to God. They, they just kept putting themselves at the top of the pile, which is not a place they were meant to be. And, and uh, the pile just started crumbling out from underneath them. As things begin to, well, crumble, literally, um, we are told, you know, we're given a little bit of, of um, detail on what happens here at the very end as, as Nebuchadnezzar finally does actually besiege Jerusalem. You know, he's been taking it apart a little bit at a time. But he actually uh, besieges them It says, let me think here, on the ninth year of Nebuchadnezzar, on the tenth day of the tenth month. I don't know what that works out for our calendar. But
1: What verse is that? I'll look it up. I've got my timeline.
0: Oh, I've got, I think it's 2 Kings tw- uh, 25 verses 1 through 3, oh, yeah, I right believe.
1: Beginning. Looks like we're at about 590 BC.
0: Okay. So uh, it's, it's interesting that they give us specific dates. Um, you know, <laughs> I've heard people many times try to say the Bible is just a big fairy tale. It's like, well, you know what? We have specific dates that we can look at and we can know exactly when these things happened. We can look at history and see that the historical um, events actually took place. So, yeah, anyway. But given that exact date of that ninth year of Nebuchadnezzar, and then in his 11th year on the uh, fourth month on the ninth day, by then the famine is so bad, there's, there's no food at all. And, uh, you know, we get into that, that story of Jeremiah a bit of understanding what's (laughs) happening there. And there's some awful things that begin happening with, with the people when these famines come through and it's, it's, it's pretty awful. But as the city wall is broken through, the men of the war, men of the war, we're told that men of war, they fled, even though the Chaldeans were still all around. I don't know how many of them actually escaped. I don't know if they escaped. And Zedekiah himself tried to escape by the plane, but he gets captured and taken to Riblah. And there his sons are killed in front of him. He's blinded and he's taken to Babylon, him also in bronze fetters. So it doesn't go well for him at all. I mean, that'd be awful to have to watch your kids be killed in front of you. I don't know how, I don't know what their family dynamics were like then, you know, if they were as close to their children as, as we get now, because it seems like fam, the families were very different with the multiple wives and this and that, but anyway, that would just, that would be awful.
1: Well, and that was a wartime thing. We've seen that before where it's yeah. like, like I'm going to kill your children in front of you and then I'm going to put out your eyes. So that that's the last thing you see. Yeah. We, mm-hmm. I mean, we You've heard those stories before.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awful and an insult at the same time. Right. Uh, so, yeah, we were already talking about how everything was burnt. Everything was taken away. Like you said, the pillars, the carts, the sea, that that mm-hmm. giant bronze, Sweet. huge bronze bowl taken, the utensils, like everything from the temple is taken. We're told bronze beyond measure. So mm-hmm. um, this, is, uh, this is a bit of wealth that's being carried off. The chief priest, Sariah, the second priest, Zephaniah. Three doorkeepers, the officer of the men of war, five close associates of Zedekiah, the chief recruiting officer of the army, and 60, I don't know if these are just random people, but 60 people found in the land, they are all taken to Ribla and put to death by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, an interesting little side note is given to us, though, and at the end of, is this in, I don't remember if this is Kings or in... Uh, Chronicles little side note that Jehoiakim gets released from prison at this point by a guy. This guy's name cracks me up because I had to look at it. This is actually his name, I think. I I don't think this is just his description. His name was Evil Meridoc. It seems like evil (laughs) was like part of his name. I don't know. I don't know if that's I think that might be a a translation or, a uh, you know. Um, but so weird as evil Merodach, he was, it seemed like he was a son of Nebuchadnezzar, but yet yeah, he was listed as a King of Babylon. I don't know quite how that works out, but he gets released from prison. Jehoiakim does gets released per, from prison by evil Merodach, And we're told he's given a pro, more prominent seat than the other Kings that were with him. And he ate bread regularly before the King, all the days of his life. And the notes in my cultural relevance Bible were saying that this may have been put in there to give the people uh, some reassurance that the line of David was going to go on because that was very important that the line of David goes on. That was part of the promise that God had given was that there would always be someone from the line of David on the on the seat. Um, Of course, when I mean, this is it. I mean, this is it for the line of David, literally uh, as 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 king over, over uh, this land as we've known it, but that was an interesting little aside. And then second Chronicles ends with a bit of a jump forward to this proclamation from Cyrus Um, Cyrus. Let's see, help me out with the history on this because Cyrus comes after Nebuchadnezzar, but that's, is he still king of Babylon or is he? No, he is king of Persia, right? Yep. Persian then the means yeah, and
1: the Medes and Persians later.
0: Yeah. So this is, this is the, the author of Chronicles jumping forward, but um giving, giving this um, proclamation from Cyrus.
2: See, but says, I wonder if it's, if it's not ending the way we see a lot of, of this ending, as far as, you know, all the bad things happen, the judgments come out and then don't get caught up so much in that there's still Hope
0: Mm-hmm. Well and that's that's it because the proclamation Of Cyrus is essentially Cyrus saying God has commanded Him to build a house of Jerusalem right. You yep. know so this is talking about A rebuilding of the temple down the road So for for Chronicles And I don't know when Chronicles was written um, But this is it. It for us we can see it as a Reassurance that Uh, having not read through everything just yet, that this temple is going to get rebuilt. So that was an interesting little aside as well. So with that then, uh, this is all what's been happening while uh, our story of Jeremiah has been going on. So we'll, we'll back up a bit. I think most of what Jeremiah had going on was during Zedekiah's reign, but it seems like he was around. He had been around through all these other kings as well. None Definitely. Of, since, since none of them were there for very long, that's not hard to believe. But uh, some men had convinced Zedekiah that Jeremiah should be put to death for the message that he had been given, which, you know, that message had been give up to Babylon, uh, which sounds like a treasonous you know, a, a treasonous message. It sounds, you know, on its face, that sounds like, a, you know, it sounds like treason. And but, that, you know,
2: but does it, you know, if we sit back and think about it, though, I think it was Satan's deception because there was prophets that were telling him, don't give up. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, where Jeremiah was saying, no, we just need to go and do our time. We need mm-hmm. to go submit, submit to the Babylonians for 70 years reestablish our our commitment to God and then come back where the where Satan's was giving the false prophets of saying you know what we don't need to do this we can make it they're not going to last there's still hope you know i think that's where we fall into that classic misconception misconception and being misled mhm mhm well right yeah i mean
0: we know reading it that it's not treasonous because it is an effort to preserve what there is left of Israel and Judah. But if you were strictly a person of state and, and you know, your, your, your greatest concern for the, for the country was maintaining power. I can see how they wouldn't want that message being, being spread. More like
2: maybe national pride mm-hmm. or that the self that we're always talking about that separated them from God.
0: hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
2: again, this is the,
4: to the point that, that they had made it a habit of not listening right. to these people. And it's, yeah, if we parachute into the middle of this, it's like, wow, how could we tell? You know, there's lots of issues like that in the world, right?
3: Mm-hmm. But
4: it isn't as if in this case there was nothing preceding it. Because remember, um, Jeremiah, and he, he brings it to the king's attention. Uh, I forgot where I had uh, put that down. But, uh, oh, in verse 13 of 2 Kings 25, Jeremiah actually asks the king, "Is like, yeah, these prophets who've been telling you all this other stuff, had that turn out for you?
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> right.
4: And, and if they were willing to look at that evidence and say, oh, yeah, you're right, because there were a bunch of things that these previous you know, prophets had been saying that didn't turn out. And it wasn't like they could only see this in reverse and they couldn't do anything about it, right? They were still at a point in their history when Zedekiah could have done something different, right? And say, "Oh, the prophet said that that uh, that we would we would be successful within two years against uh, Babylon." Well, it didn't happen. Oh, we will. They will not take away the articles from the temple. Well, that didn't come true. They did take away the uh, articles from the temple. We'll get them back. That's another prophecy that didn't happen. So it was like failed prophecy after fail and. And every time uh, Jeremiah shows up and we have this kind of an interesting um, thing where Zedekiah calls Jeremiah secretly and says, (laughs) hey, tell tell me, tell me the real story. And Jeremiah basically says, it's the same as I have been telling you all along. It's Mm -hmm. the same thing. So. On one hand, yes. If we were if we were not looking at Jeremiah and were not comparing the facts of what these false prophets have been said, it would be very confusing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it would be much more clear if we looked at now being clear and being easier different things. Because even if even if clearly they were supposed to surrender to the Babylonians to the points we've been talking about earlier, that would not be easy.
3: Right.
4: Right. And we shouldn't. We shouldn't project It's like, oh, it's always easy to do the right thing.
0: No, it's not. And I I wonder, too, here, if some of the issue here, specifically with Zedekiah, is that he can't seem to stick to a decision. Because he goes ahead and allows Jeremiah to be put in prison. And the people who put him in prison stick him down in a pit where he's probably going to die of hunger and thirst.
1: Poor jungle rot. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. A pit of mud.
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty nasty. It just sounds like an awful place to stick somebody. But an Ethiopian servant, I guess he named Abed-Melech, and remember that name because it comes back for us later. He goes to Zedekiah and convinces him that this is a great evil toward Jeremiah. Says Jeremiah's going to die of hunger, and there's no there's no more bread in the city. So you know what you know what do you really want to do with this guy? And so so Zedekiah tells Abed-Melech. Go ahead and take 30 men and rescue him from that pit. But uh, and so they get him out. Jeremiah Jeremiah remains in the court of the prison at this point, which I don't know exactly what that means, but it's certainly not a pit. And it doesn't sound like he's like in in the worst part of a prison anymore. Sounds like almost more like a minimum security, if you will. I don't know, but he's uh, definitely in a place where he can be treated at least a little bit. Better, but I just found that odd that Zedekiah is like, yeah, go ahead, toss him in prison. And he's like, no, let's 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 not treat him quite so badly. And it just seems to have a doesn't seem able to quite just stick with something on that.
4: Yeah, he doesn't keep his word to anybody. He doesn't keep his mm-hmm. word to the King of to the King Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> he doesn't actually stick with uh, Jeremiah's things. He's he waffles with his uh, um, officials. He just kind of blows wherever the wind uh, goes in this. Mm-hmm. You know, as he, as he meets with Jeremiah secretly, he actually makes up a story that Jeremiah can tell <laughs> when these officials come back and say, well, what did you tell the king? And so Jeremiah can truly say, this is what I said to the king. Now, he doesn't say that's all he said, but he said, that's what I said to the king. And that seems to be a Enough and they, the, the officials who threw him in the pit are willing at this point to at least to leave him out of the pit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I you know, I thought it was odd that Zedekiah even went to Jeremiah for advice at this point.
1: You know, after, well, after... if I were Zedekiah, I would be very, very afraid that I had listened to the wrong prophets and gotten mad at the wrong prophet.
3: Mm-hmm. Well.
1: And so to me, this is what this was. It was like, you know. Okay, can we just have a private conversation? What do I need to know? I've been so hoping you were wrong, but I think maybe you're right. Yeah, <laughs> I think it goes yeah. back
2: to exactly what Eric was saying, though. It just shows us he is always wavering.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He'll listen to the listen to the outside influences and throw Jeremiah in prison. Then he needs some. He starts to second doubt himself and waver again. So he secretly goes and talks to him. You know. I think it's just a classic example. He just doesn't know which way's up. And he's right. unwilling to, to go to God. 100%. percent
0: hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. Every way except for the way he should go. And so, yeah, it was just... Uh, uh, I don't know. I think it was really showing uh, showing Zedekiah's character here and his inability to just stick with anything. And maybe this is... This is probably maybe one of the biggest issues with his downfall. Maybe this is, you know, why as the last king of israel why it finally just crumbles underneath him because he he just doesn't stick to anything ever even when he's just told yeah it's what i've been telling you all along what you need to do and you won't and you still won't do it and then zedekiah just doesn't want anybody even know that he was talking to him so um, just very very interesting how how zedekiah plays this out
1: So did you guys notice, are we in Jeremiah? We're in that part of the story now, right? The book of Jeremiah. Yep. Okay. So did you guys notice in verse four, in 38 verse four, where the officials, what they came and said to the king, they said, this man should be put to death. He is discouraging the soldiers who are left in this city, as well as all the people by the things he is saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of those people, of these people, but their ruin. To me, this was so, this was such a huge reflection of modern day stupidity where I don't want to hear the truth. I want to hear what I want to hear. And if you say something I don't like, then you're being disrespectful to me. You know what I mean? It was like, it was, I read that and I actually started laughing and it was just such a facepalm moment because that that is that is so that's such a human thing it's like i don't you, you know what what do they call it in other parts in the bible my people want to hear smooth words they don't want to hear the truth they don't want to be made uncomfortable they don't want to be they certainly don't want to be called on the carpet for what they're doing they want to hear things that tell them that they're okay doing just what they're doing. And and the translation, you know, the the idea if if Jeremiah isn't doing that is that he should be put to death because he's discouraging the people.
3: <laughs> and
1: worse than that, they actually instead of even entertaining the idea that maybe he's telling the truth, they go all the way to say this man is not seeking the good of these people but their ruin. Like, there's not even a thought in their heads that he might be telling the truth and they might need to listen to him. It's all what makes them comfortable. And what makes them comfortable is obviously for their good and is the truth. Talk <laughs> about willfully blind.
3: hmm
0: Yeah. You know, uh, sometimes we think that that's a new new trait for human beings, but clearly it's not. And we've been dealing with that for a long time. Wanting to, just wanted to hear what you like.
3: And,
1: uh, well, Cain, it's, I mean, think about the story of Cain. You know, he gets mad and he kills Abel because his sacrifice wasn't accepted. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Hello. God mm-hmm. said, do this. You went and did something else and you got mad at Abel because what you did was wrong.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, like,
0: yeah. Yeah. So talk it's, about an early start. Right. Yeah. It's a it's an issue that's says about as old as time itself. So, <laughs> oh amazing, yes. A guy named Nebuzaradan gets what put a in name? Tra- yeah, he gets put in charge of Jeremiah. Now, Nebuzaradan is under Nebuchadnezzar because now by this point, Zedekiah is gone. He's he is not king anymore. He's been carried off to Babylon. So, Nebuzaradan gets put in charge of Jeremiah and commanded not to harm him. And so he, Jeremiah gets taken from the court of the prison and gets committed to Gedaliah, the governor. Well, I guess committed because we find out that Jeremiah sort of chooses to go to him. How interesting was it to you, it was interesting to me, that he gets better treatment from the enemy of Israel than he does from Israel itself or from Judah?
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: And the And the Chaldeans at this
4: point, oh, I don't remember where it was, they actually say... Yeah, we know why we won, because God sent us, and um, we we were obeying God, and we know you were obeying God, so, yeah, what do you want to do? Yeah, it was very, almost disorienting, but (laughs) at the same time, kind of like, well, they were doing what they were, Jeremiah was doing what he was supposed to do, and unfortunately for Israel, they were not doing what they were supposed to do, and again, to the topic of how things turn out the way God says, is that although Jeremiah had prophesied Zedekiah would be, be taken to Babylon alive, you know, the last thing he ever saw with his eyes were his sons getting killed and all the it, officials. And so it didn't end well. And here goes Jeremiah. And he chooses, to, I think this is interesting, he chooses to, to stay with God's people as a remnant here to work with them. And they still need it. They're not done rebelling yet. Mm-hmm. Even though the city's been sacked and burned, Jeremiah decides to stay with the few. We've been told that those are the ultra poor,
3: yeah. who
4: basically have no skills because the kings have taken all the skilled people to uh, Babylon.
0: You know, I thought it was interesting though that these poor people got charge of the land.
3: Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: but, you know, I mean, if if we consider if we. And and I'm just kind of formulating this as we're talking here. But if we consider that uh, Jubilee hadn't been observed, at least as far as we know, I mean, we've kind of talked about this amongst the four of us. If Jubilee hadn't been observed, if we hadn't been having that reset. And now it's like we almost get an ultimate reset where where the ultra poor who had nothing now have it all. Uh, You know, they're left there. Uh, I like the interesting word of remnant. Are uh, they left there to care for the land and be farmers and vine dressers? I just, I just found that very interesting that that they, yeah. that they get get left there because you know this is maybe important for us to remember. Not every single person was carried off to Babylon. There were still some people left in the land uh, that God had promised. So yeah. I found that I found that interesting that even though you know a lot of them are taken off, not everybody. Yeah, and
4: this gets complicated because some of those people who stay are Israelites, but they weren't the, the city folk, mm-hmm. they weren't the rich folks, and they did, they yeah, the poorest people became the richest people, and we see over and over again, we've read this in Isaiah, is that a lot of the wealthy people had re- gotten their wealth through the unjust treatment of others. It wasn't just that they had been savvy and worked, because we have Jesus tell the story of the the talents, and the people who took two talents and turned it into four or had five and turned it into ten they were rewarded but they didn't do it through illicit means and again and again one of the sins that the prophets are pointing out is that yeah there's there's a way that some of these people have gained their wealth that was at the expense of other people Mm -hmm. and these people who are poor were kind of left in the land King Nebuchadnezzar sends uh, Chaldeans into what was the northern kingdom, Israel, which becomes Samaria, which kind of mixes with some of the people who were left behind, who were kind of Israelites, but not really in the center lane of Israel. And then in Jesus' time, they were, you know, the Samaritans and so on, who were, yeah, you're kind of with us, but you're not really. And so this gets really kind of muddy here as the
0: national identity gets very mixed up. But yeah, so Jeremiah he does yeah you know, he chooses cause, because because Nebuchadnezzar gives him the choice like you can come with me to Babylon I'll take care of you you can you can do that or you can go back to the governor or you can do whatever you want thought that was pretty kind of that was kind of interesting that that he's just like you can you know you you make the choice you decide what you want to do and he chooses to go back to those people uh, he he kind of suggests that he should go back to Gedaliah but. Um, doesn't It's not like he orders him. It's not like he, he he escorts him there. It's just sort of a suggestion, and that's what Jeremiah chooses. Uh, now, that name Abed-Melech comes back, though. That, that Ethiopian that had pulled um, Jeremiah out of the pit comes back because God gives a, a message to Jeremiah about him and assures Abed-Melech that he will deliver him because he had put his trust in God. So a little a little reward there for abed Melik for for trusting God and uh, looking out for Jeremiah.
2: I had a question during my reading, and I have it mm-hmm. here in my notes, is that, so the Chaldean army, when they went to basically doil out the, the land for the poor people that were there, mm-hmm. did they stay? Because my thought was this, and I, I don't know, and, Help me with this a little bit, because being the remnant, now that the Chaldeans basically took everything, took the uh, Zedekiah back with them, they, how I kind of have, the way I was picturing it is they're no longer in the land. The remnant gets to be with the land while it is restored for the 70 years. You know, being alone, being able to observe the Sabbaths, is that Was that building the foundation again for Israel?
4: Not so much, because as we, as we read a little bit further here into uh, chapter 40 of Jeremiah and 2 Kings 25 kind of spells this out a little bit more, is that what happens is that, uh, spoiler alert here, because we've got kind of one of these situations that spans several books, and we're not there in Jeremiah, but we are in 2 Kings, is that Gedaliah is the governor And then Ishmael, who is of the royal line, um, somehow related to the kings of Judah. I can't read into his mind, but basically what ends up happening is he thinks he should be king and they should rebel again. And that Gedaliah is basically a patsy of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, and so he murders him. And and, uh, Ishmael who is the Israelite or Judah at this point uh, kills Gedaliah and the other officials and some Chaldean soldiers who just happened to be there. And then basically like, uh Oh, we've, we, we poked them in the eye again. And so they say, well, let's flee to Egypt. And Jeremiah says, we've been told over and over and over, don't do this, but they do. Anyways, and so there's not really much left in Judah of people of Judah, just not much left at all. It's just crumbs at best.
0: Yeah, it seems like it'd be pretty hard to maintain much of anything there because, you know, it was interesting that there was a lot of people who came back from other nations that had scattered before to join those those um, those poor who had been left in charge
2: couldn't have gone so differently than the poor, you know, being given land again, being given vineyards, being able to follow the Lord, but yet it went to their head so quickly again.
0: Could it have been? Sure. Should it have been? Probably. <laughs> but, you know, nature.
1: What must that have looked like? Like, here are these people who don't know how to tend fields or how to grow crops, and mm. all of a sudden you know they're they're probably the i mean when when it says they were poor i'm assuming this means like poor to the point of being a beggar like they didn't own anything they weren't a cohesive group so probably the invaders did not look at them and see any kind of a threat so they were just yeah. like, well, we'll just leave them here. Here you go. You guys take care of this. Can you even imagine the chaos that that – like, these people just looking around, like, what are we supposed to do with this?
4: Well, they might have
0: been the people doing it all along. They just
4: didn't know right. any of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they didn't own it. That that was kind of my thought. Maybe they didn't own it, but they had been, oh. been serving under I, – I, there had to have been somebody there that knew what they were doing. But to Karen's point, to your
4: point there, Karen, yeah, there was disorganization. I mean, these people – even if they had been doing the work, weren't used to like organizing themselves. They were more used to just doing what they'd been told, which is, I I agree with you again, is probably why the, the armies of the Chaldeans were like, yeah, these people can't organize and rebel on us. Mm -hmm. Um, They didn't really rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, but um, Ishmael, at least just like, well, we we can't rebel, but we're going to kill the people who said that they would cooperate with them. We'll do that. It's Mm -hmm. total chaos I mean they have descended into complete and total com- I mean I just can't imagine they are now they are now pushing through the bottom of the barrel I mean not only has their nation been destroyed and sacked and everything carried away everything st- air asterisk there if we have time we'll get to that but mm-hmm. uh, that they got. They got nothing. They have. They have absolutely re- refused to do anything that they've been told by anyone. They are going to do it their own way. It goes back to judges, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes, and absolute total <laughs> chaos and destruction was the result.
0: Yeah, that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We can. We've seen how that has affected them in the past, and we see how it. You know, ultimately, was their downfall, and uh, yeah, it hasn't. It has not been pretty, but. You know, with this, I mean, that's, that is the end of Judah. I mean, that's, that's it. There's, there's nothing left. There is no, there's, I mean, here there's, there's nothing to even salvage at this point. Everything of any value has been torn down, burned down, taken away.
4: Yeah. To that point, not to get too far into the weeds here, but I think it's worth mentioning that the Ark of the Covenant is not mentioned. Right. It is just, it, it would have been, I think the authors here would have said, and they took the Ark of the Covenant, because we've seen that in the past, that whenever it was taken or whatever a thing happened, there was a focus about that and it was mentioned. And it, it makes it a point to say that the, the articles of the um, temple were taken, the bronze pillars and the... The Sea of Bronze, I mean, those are specifically articulated as having been to- taken, but not the Ark of the Covenant. There's a lot of speculation, and I'm not going to go into this um, about where it is, but Karen sent us something during the week that is that has some value in, in maybe considering that between the sieges, because Jerusalem was sieged twice, the mm-hmm. the Chaldeans came down, sieged it. And then took off to um, deal with the Egyptians. That There were some who believed Jeremiah. Like, like, Jer- like Jerusalem's going to fall. And they believed Jeremiah. Like if Jerusalem falls, these Chaldeans are going to take the Ark of the Covenant. Well, you couldn't really hide the bronze pillars. You couldn't hide the bronze sea. They're just way too big. But the original Ark of the Covenant wasn't super huge. Remember, this was carried by hand by just a few people, priests. That during this time they would have taken it out and hidden it, and yeah. the Ark of the Covenant is never spoken of again. It's just gone. It just vanished.
3: Hmm.
0: Well, I know where it is, but yeah. You know. <laughs> well, yeah, they made a movie about that, but they did. It was a this documentary about this archaeologist who found and it in Egypt. If you listen next week,
2: you we will be revealing that to <laughs> oh, millions and millions of listeners.
0: Da, 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 stay
3: tuned
0: da, 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 da. <laughs> 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 no there are a lot of there's a lot of speculation though about where it, where it is you know uh, uh Tracy you were talking yesterday to me about uh a tribe in I, I say tribe maybe I'm using the wrong word I'm sorry if I am uh but in Ethiopia where they they claim they have it in a bit of a mon I guess you'd call it a monastery um and i've i've heard of them before um there's some speculation that it might still be right there in egypt um under golgotha uh, uh you know hidden somewhere there um don't know don't know it is fascinating that it just disappears though we don't there's no there's no talk about it it's just gone and you know it's fascinating on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's not that surprising, considered the number of times that in the past they had sort of lost track of it, and and mistreated it, and and um, totally forgotten its its purpose anyway. So I don't know. It would be quite the thing if it ever gets found, and uh, there's some who speculate that it will be found again before before Jesus returns. And boy, oh boy, wouldn't that wouldn't that to uh, turn uh, secular historians on their ear?
3: No, to... yeah.
4: I say absolutely not. It would give faith to those who are seeking faith. We've yeah, had a yeah. lot of sessions about this in our family. But to those who don't want to believe, they will not believe. Right? Yes. No. You've got yeah. you've got the flood. Before the flood, you could walk to the gates of Eden and see us an angel standing there with a flaming sword. Did that mm-hmm. stop people's idolatry?
0: No. Nope. Good point. Israel.
4: It's like, well, gosh, if if there had been 10 miracles preceding their exodus, then they would believe God. Well, if that wasn't enough, the ocean would part and they would miraculously go through. Maybe that would convince them. Then the Egyptian army would be mysteriously destroyed. Then there'd be a pillar of fire at night. And then, no, no. And the first thing that happens is Moses goes away and like, let's make a cow out of gold and worship that. It's hmm. like. It just Jesus does these miracles and miracles, and he gets arrested, and they're like, "Well, do a miracle so that we know you're the Messiah." Like, <laughs> yeah. you you've missed all the things that are. It's it will never be enough for those who are who will not be convinced.
0: good point, good point. Yeah, well,
4: I will be for seeking for those who are yeah. seeking. I think it would be profound. <laughs> or those who are on the fence would say, "Oh, wow, mm-hmm. okay, some of this stuff is." But to those who won't be convinced, it doesn't matter. They could have live video feed of a thing happening. And people are like that's not happening. Like,
0: well, <laughs> mm. yeah. I'll be the guy standing there pointing, going, "Look! Look! Look!" <laughs> 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 oh, and uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, fascinating that it's just gone. It's just not there, and it's, uh, nobody. In the narrative, seems they don't even mention it. Do they? Do they not mention it? Maybe because it's hidden, and they know it's hidden, and they don't want to make a deal out of it. Don't want to bring attention to it. Or are they not mentioning it because nobody's even thinking about it at this point? I don't know. But at any rate, everything's gone. Judah's gone. Israel is gone. We've uh, we've been following this. Storyline for quite a while, and uh, we've seen it go from heights of glory now to just just gone. Um, speaks a lot to uh, our human power and thinking. Thinking that uh, you know the things we build can never go away, and we look at you know multiple multiple civilizations that are completely gone. I've seen some documentaries about things like in South America, where huge cities. You wouldn't even know they were there, but, you know, archaeology is able to find them and they're gigantic, but they're gone and nobody knows anything about them. And, uh,
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know, it's just, it's, it's kind of fascinating to see how these things can just go away.
4: It's a sad story, but it's not without
0: warning. I mean, mm-hmm. we see this over and over
4: God's way is he, he's keeps reaching out. Um, and he did before the flood. He does before this. And where we are in time, it's relevant that uh, people are calling out to a lost and fallen people in the last days. You got mm-hmm. Revelation 14. There's, there's the three angels message um, that goes out to the whole world preceding this stuff. And some listen and some don't. And so where we are, rather than looking at this as just a piece of history, is what will you do? Mm -hmm. we do well you look at the evidence of what's happened well we read these words over and over and it happened so that the word of god would be would come true jesus has said i'm coming again well are we doing anything about that he's saying this here's some things to do to to prepare yourself for such a are we doing anything about that so we can look at this historically and say well isn't that interesting for them Yes, but mostly as it applies to us. And I think there's application. Absolutely.
1: The Lord is not slow as some count slowness, but is patient, <laughs> not wanting anyone to perish.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and speaking to that slowness, nobody's nobody's waited more than a lifetime. Yeah. yeah. We, you know, we, 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 think of this in th- terms of thousands of years and we can't even comprehend what thousands of years means. But when we stop and think that, you know, each of our lives, the average, like American life is in the eighties that we can imagine that we can comprehend. And, uh, for, especially the four of us here, that, that 80 year mark is closer now than it used to be. So, uh, um, hey, go to your room for some of it's even closer, <laughs> <I love that. laughs> Yeah, definitely a warning to be taken, not lightly. Okay, well, I think that is going to wrap up our time for this week. Next week, we are going to look at the book of Habakkuk. We're going to uh, step away from Jeremiah here a bit. And Habakkuk is a small book, uh, but I think it's dense. There's a lot there that we're going to be able to talk about. It's, uh, it's it's like I say, not very long, only a handful of chapters. So next week, we will look at the book of Habakkuk. While you are waiting for that and reading that, remember you can reach out to us at attvpodcast at theadventure.org. Uh, look for us on Facebook. Be sure you subscribe to the podcast. and Make sure you share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.